Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at DrMomButtBalm.com That's DrMomButtBalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Melanie Fitch. For her third birth, Melanie was planning a birth center birth, but when the quarantine began, she and her husband decided to have a home birth instead. All that changed when at 39 weeks and five days, her blood pressure unexpectedly skyrocketed, instantly risking her out of a home birth and causing her to be medically induced for preeclampsia. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Birthful and for all the love you give the show. If what you hear is helpful, do tell your friends about it. There are still so many people out there that don't know about the show, so please continue to spread the word. All right, so my episode today is with Melanie Fitch, who switched from wanting to have a birth center birth to a home birth when the quarantine started, only to have her plans change again when her blood pressure spiked and she developed preeclampsia at 39 weeks and, and five days. She was immediately risked out of a home birth and told to go into the hospital for an induction ASAP. And getting ready was such a whirlwind. They had to figure out who would take care of their other two children and pack bags, all while dealing with the emotions of having their plans go out the window and figuring out the new COVID-related policies of giving birth at the hospital. Not to mention being concerned about her and her baby's health. May is Preeclampsia Awareness Month, and May 22nd was World Preeclampsia Day, so it seemed fitting to share this story this week. With preeclampsia affecting 1 in 12 pregnancies, this is usually a complication that's not necessarily in the forefront of many people's minds. However, it is important to know the signs, as preeclampsia tends to progress quite quickly, can progress quite quickly, um, and can lead to eclampsia. I am going to link on the show notes an episode that I did with the CEO of the Preeclampsia Foundation, Eleni Tsigas, where we talk about all the symptoms and also the fact that preeclampsia can occur during the first week's postpartum. It's not just during pregnancy. But back to Melanie and her story. Let's get to it. Welcome, Melanie. It is so good to have you here on the show. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Yeah, and you've had quite a bit of a roller coaster, and I'm excited to get into it. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name's Melanie. I'm a stay-at-home mom to three kids. My youngest baby is a month old today, and um, I'm a retired costume technician for theater and opera and so I kind of do that on the side a little bit, but mostly I just am a mom. <laughs> and I read that in your bio and I had so many questions. I was like, oh, that seems so interesting and curious. And you said <laughs> you have an Etsy shop. Um, we'll put it on the bio for sure. But I want to take a look at your stuff because I haven't yet. What's the what's the oh, store? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, my friend and I, we started it. Actually, my very first sale was the day my first was born. <laughs> um so we started it about seven and a half years ago, and it was just a way to kind of, we're both stay-at-home moms, and so it was kind of a way to have that um, that creative outlet that wasn't work. And so we really just sell whatever suits our fancy. But I will say our best seller is Hobbit Capes. So what, we, What's we, the name of the store? It's Stitches of Mirth. Okay. All right, cool. I will link it. So... 
in terms of your stories, you have three kids. Can you give us the bullet points of the first two? Because we really want to concentrate on that third story. But where was your outlook towards birth? How did you prepare? What was going through your mind in terms of birth wishes way back when you, before you, you know, when you were pregnant was your first? Yeah. So I am a planner. And my friend uh, had just given birth right before I I got married, actually. And um, she had her first birth was quite traumatic and a hospital birth that ended up in a cesarean. And then she had two home births after that. So I was really intrigued with the whole birth um, process and specifically with home births. But when I got married and everything, my husband, of course, um, as a lot of people in our culture, in our society, have had only heard the horror stories of home births and so we compromised and also i will say it was a very much a financial decision and we were both double covered at that time so essentially a a hospital birth was free because we were double covered whereas a home birth you know we'd have to pay out of pocket so being a young married couple that we were (laughs) we just decided to go with the hospital birth but I knew I wanted to go unmedicated. And so that's really where this all came from. So I started looking into everything and anything about unmedicated births. Of course, I had my friend to talk to a lot. And um, I read tons of books about how to have a successful unmedicated birth in the hospital. But I will say that, that I was terrified of the potential, the potential of a nurse or somebody else forcing me to be in a position or do something that I didn't want to do. And um, so yeah, his birth was great. It was 11 hours total um, labor. And it was he was posterior. So it was all back labor. (laughs) I hear you. That was my baby. And uh, yeah, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Me too for you. (laughs) But I, like I said, I was so terrified of um, the staff who was very kind. I mean, I, I don't think I had a right to be terrified, or I did have a right, but I didn't have um, a basis other than one nurse, one particular nurse. I don't think ever should be a natural birth nurse, but, um, <laughs> but I was so scared. I stayed in the bed the whole time, and I was basically on my hands and knees almost the entire labor because it was the only position that felt good, and I was scared to change that they would make me do something I didn't want to do. Mm. So, and that, so that was, <laughs> I find that that happens often when a baby is not in the greatest position because it's already so intense. Moving seems impossible. And, but moving is what will allow for space to improve it if baby's going to move, right? And it it can be such a hurdle to get to move when everything inside you is saying, don't move, don't move. (laughs) It is so true. And that's exactly how I was feeling. And I had two doulas, actually, but one was my friend. And the other was a doula in training. And I think that they just didn't know that they needed to be more forceful with me. (laughs) They were kind of just letting me do what I needed. And they were awesome. They were really great with the counter pressure and um, makeshift rebozos and things like that to help the hands and knees be more comfortable. But I really agree with you. I think that if I had 
moved more, it might have been a little easier. (laughs) And this is coming from somebody who did not have a doula at the time and spend at least a good 10 hours of her labor sitting on top of the stairs just sitting. <laughs> so I wish I had, you know, the the doula to tell me move because I was did not yes. just couldn't, right? Yeah. Oh man, I'm so sorry, but I totally understand. <laughs> but we are testaments that even with a hard posterior labor, you can still, you know, I feel that I was stubborn mm-hmm. enough that I, yeah. eventually baby came out and we I had an unmedicated vaginal birth just like you Um, because it never it it was it was insanely intense but in my case and I'm curious to see what was your case it didn't get to misery like I was still doing it yeah I would agree with that completely I I did it was complete it was so intense and so raw but I never felt like until I got to transition because I think that's typical but I never felt like I couldn't do it yeah, me neither. Yeah, I we did. I uh, yeah, and I think if people, if you get to that point of, you know, but at transition, you get to a point where you're like, this is just too much. But I felt that by the time you're so in it that you just <laughs> there's nothing but the next contraction. Um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So then that birth um, was posterior, but then baby came out. And you were hands and knees. How how was that meeting of your baby? Oh, it was great. He was adorable as usual. And it was the instant love and the instant empowerment and feeling like, well, I did it. That was really, really hard, but I did it. <laughs> and he, um, he, they were worried that he had aspirated some um, amniotic fluid. So I didn't get to hold him right away, which was kind of sad. Um but my husband was with him the whole time and I didn't, I had one little tear and it was because the on-call OB (laughs) had pulled my placenta out. So I was fine until my placenta was pulled out. And then I got a little teeny tiny tear, one stitch. So it wasn't too bad. Um, But I was mad about that because I had asked to birth my placenta naturally and wasn't allowed it. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's the next frontier where we're, we keep pushing the taking back things of letting them happen. And I think we're going to start seeing more self-delivery of placenta. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I digress. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when did you get to then actually hold him and cuddle if he went, you know, how severe was the consideration of the amniotic fluid? Um, once they got him, uh, they were able to suck his lungs out right there. I, I think, I mean, this was seven years ago, so I'm trying to remember. (laughs) I, I can't remember if he had to go to another room or not, but it was pretty quick. I mean, relatively, it felt long to me, but it, it probably wasn't that long. Um, and then he was back before I even went into my recovery room. Um, and he latched on immediately and breastfeeding went pretty great. So yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So then fast forward to the second one. What were you feeling in terms of preparations and decisions there from what work, what didn't? Were you making any changes? We did. So by that point, um, 
without going into any detail, we had had a couple hospital experiences, including my husband has had three back surgeries. So one of them happened between my two babies. And um, just a lot of things happened that really put us off the hospital birth. And I particularly felt that I was really looking for something that wasn't so medicalized and so um, directed. And I never wanted to be unassisted, but I just, I really have always trusted in the natural process of birth. And I really wanted to see how that would unfold for me, especially because allegedly an 11 hour labor with a posterior baby is quite fast. That's what everybody's been telling me. (laughs) I would agree, even though when you're in it, it doesn't feel like it. But yeah, exactly. 11 hours is not bad at all. <laughs> so we knew that second baby had the potential of coming quite quickly as well. And especially if um, she was in a good position, which she was, she was always in the perfect position. So we started looking into home birth, but where we lived at the time, we just didn't quite feel comfortable doing it at home. And, um, and so birth center became the option. And I her birth is probably, I don't think any birth is really perfect, but in my birth, I think hers was probably my most quote unquote perfect. Um, it was a five hour labor start to finish. I woke up, sent my husband to work an hour later, I woke up again and was contracting. (laughs) And, And, uh, so I called him home. I labored at home as long as I could. And we made it to the birth center 33 minutes before she was born. (laughs) what so a big question that people ask themselves all the time is when is it time to go to the hospital what were you feeling and because it hadn't it had been four hours basically more or less since since it started what what prompted you to say no we really need to go Um, my husband quite honestly Um, (laughs) I think if he hadn't been so persistent the baby would have been born at home (laughs) but I I actually I felt everything was really manageable I texted my midwife and I was like you know it's manageable I'm in the shower and and uh, we'll come in in a couple hours and she was like that's great and then um, my husband was like they told you that this birth was going to go fast we need to get in And so he was frantically loading the car, everything. And I was just in this world of denial, like, oh, we've got tons of time. It's fine. And and quite honestly, I had no idea how time, how much time had really passed. I think I was just so into dealing with the contractions and making, and they were manageable and I didn't feel like we were in any rush. But I will say the second we got in the car, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in labor. And I had my worst contractions in the the car. And by the time we got to the birth center, I was pretty sure I was in transition. (laughs) Yeah. I've got to say, I, especially for second babies or third babies or whatever, because you have your first baby and second babies, you have a better idea of how things, how long they take. So Mm -hmm. you tend to, I, I, I see people chill out more like, yeah, it's fine. You know, last time it was, ooh, so much longer. And you get out of your thinking brain so that your body can flow. Um, And then you go into labor land quicker, which is also like, Oh, I don't know what's going on. Right? Not not a trance, but you're deep internal. So I've started picking up on this partner's intuition. Mm 
where the second time, you know, dads or partners, they pick it up a lot quicker. They're like, no, I remember from last time because they have, they're not in your body, right? They have that ability to look from outside. I love it. Oh, yeah. No, they're good with that. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about the rest of this breath. We'll be right Ah, postpartum brain fog. Did you even know that was a thing? But I'm guessing that if you have little ones at home, you're probably feeling it, along with the increased mental load of trying to be a multitasking caregiver, facing the stressful demands of everyday life. And that's without even considering the added lack of sleep. It's definitely a lot, which is why I'm so appreciative of Needed's cognitive support supplement created to help support key aspects of cognitive health like focus and attention, brain health and memory, and even alleviate brain fog and eye fatigue. Now, what makes Needed's cognitive support so unique is that unlike many other cognitive support supplements, Needed's is appropriate to take while breastfeeding. In fact, it was designed with this in mind. But don't just take my word for it. In an in-market study, 92% of people taking Needed's cognitive support saw an improvement in overall cognitive function, with 78% seeing an improvement in mental clarity, aka brain fog. And of these many positive reviews, my favorite is one that says, quote, This is my third postpartum period. This is the best I have felt mentally and physically, despite now having three kiddos to care for, end quote. Basically, taking Needed's cognitive support is an easy way to help reclaim your brain during postpartum. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. And we're back talking with Melanie Fitch about her birth stories. And this is story number two. So things were intense. You were in the car. You were like, oh, yeah, good idea that we're <laughs> on our way transitioning. Um, yep. How did it, the rest go? So while we were driving there, and it's about 10 minutes away, so not too far, I got a text from the midwife saying that she had been caught up in traffic and asked if I could wait. And I said, um, no, we're on our way, and I am very much in labor. In fact, I think I'm in transition. And so she was like, okay, okay, we'll get there as quickly as possible. And um, I, we waited in the parking lot for maybe 10 minutes. I was um, GBS positive for her, so, you know, they had wanted me to get an IV, but obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> um, they tried when, when we got in there, they kept trying to put the, the IV in and I just, I couldn't sit still long enough. And that's why I'm pretty sure that I was in transition. Um, so they quickly filled the birth tub and I got in and I think I was in the birth tub for maybe 10 minutes, pushed two or three times and she was out. <laughs> wow. And, yeah, it was it was quite amazing and fast. And I, I've been teasing my husband because this third birth, spoiler alert, was a little traumatic for me. But I think the second birth was a little more traumatic for him just because he was in such a rush to not have a baby on the highway. 
Oh, and um, and but he got you there on time and time to wait for the midwife, wait for everybody. Yep. Uh, yep. Even, even my sister who took pictures got there in just enough time to take some pictures of, of her coming out. <laughs> so that was a water birth. She was born into the water. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And after that experience, especially compared to my first where I felt stuck to the bed, it was like night and day. And I declared I would never birth any other way ever again. <laughs> it was, and I didn't tear at all. I had zero tears. Um, like I said, she came out fast. And we both just felt, I mean, nothing about birth is, is calm, in my opinion, um, when you're in labor and <laughs> pushing. But it was calm and it was peaceful in the surroundings and the feeling of the room. Um, and I just loved that so much. And I loved that there wasn't the, I don't know, the millions of people coming in and out of the room and it was just us. And it was so, I don't know, it just felt so respectful and so such a great way to welcome in a baby to the world, Mm. in my opinion. (laughs) And I like the fact that you mentioned that birth is not necessarily calm, even though you want to make everything around you as calm as possible. Because I've had some people um, who see, for example, a lot of videos, YouTube videos on hypnobirthing. And and those birthing people, I find that if you do hypnobirthing or any type of hypnosis, they have an ability of being calm that I don't know how, where that comes from. But I want to take away the stigma of if you were practicing hypnobirthing or doing all the things to try to have a calm birth and it doesn't happen and you find you are vocalizing really loud or whatever it is that you're not doing it wrong. There's no right or wrong. Like it. Yeah. Doesn't... I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> right. I mean, you're going to have a great birth experience. That's not quiet. And you know, Zen, <laughs> it's not Zen. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I could never figure out how, those birthing moms could do it, but, (laughs) but that's okay. Cause they can, and and I birth differently. And I think that's important to remember. Right. All different options, all different options, but it doesn't have to be one way for sure. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So then with her, your daughter, um, did you bring her out of the water? Did you like, how did that meeting go? Um, see, I'm trying to remember. I was in the runner's pose when she was born in the water and I think I was just, in in all honesty, I think I was so shocked that it she was birthed so quickly that I was just kind of trying to catch my breath. And so <laughs> my midwife actually pulled her up out of the water and into my arms. Um, but again, with her, she was right into my arms. We took a few pictures and then I was able to latch her pretty much immediately, which was great. <laughs> and that was once, did you latch her directly while you were still in the tub or afterwards? Um, while I was still in the tub before I even delivered the placenta. And um, yeah, that my placenta burst pretty quickly with her too, um, which was nice because we were just able to do it all in the tub. And then as soon as the placenta was born, I could move out and get cleaned up and into the bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you have any tears for this one? None. They had, I had what they called road rash, which I think is a really funny name, but (laughs) like it, you could tell that things had happened, but nothing that needed to be stitched up or anything. So it was nice. 
Yeah, I've heard that term as well, and it it is like I don't I don't know whether I love it or I don't. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it still sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it sounds bigger than it is. It's just like a little scrape, but not yeah. even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so then fast forward to a couple of months ago. Yeah. You know, you're pregnant for number three. Mm -hmm. um, and even before, so let's go a little bit further back before COVID hit the scene. Um, right. What were you planning for at that point for this birth number three? from what you learned from the two previous births? So once again, like I said, I had really, really wanted a home birth, but we had just moved and were financially, again, in a position where we weren't sure we could make it happen. So in an effort to just start care, we actually found a midwife, a hospital-based midwife, who incidentally, I went to college with her husband, <laughs> but... Um, and we started care with her. And I told her straight from the beginning that our goal was to transfer care if we could make it work financially. But she was really great. She was very naturally minded. She's actually been trying to get water births in her hospital um, all along. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, anyway, so we started care with her. And she was, like I said, she was really great. And if I hadn't been so set on that water birth, I think we probably would have stuck with her. Because once again, insurance covered her and not out of hospital. Um, but luckily, at the beginning of the year, January, um, we were able to figure it out. And we got flex spending to cover our out-of-hospital birth. And so I transferred care and um, was planning a birth center birth again. Um, but then, like you said, COVID hit <laughs> and changed our minds all around. <laughs> mm. How did that decision walk me to through that process? You January, you're doing a birth center birth, you're I'm guessing elated because you managed to figure that out. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, walk me through the process. So my husband hilariously um, was quite worried about the logistics of a home birth. He wasn't worried anymore about the safety of it. Um, it was all logistics because we had never had to, you know, set up a birth pool or buy all the supplies or anything like that. Um, but I really wanted a home birth and I'd always wanted one. And so at the beginning of March, when things started amping up with COVID, I just looked at him and I said, I think that we should just buy all the supplies so that no matter what, we've got them here. And then if things continue and we feel like we should transfer, we'll have them. And he actually agreed. And he said, I'd been thinking that too. So we got all the supplies and we were all ready. And then I got a cold at the end of March and we started having to do our first Zoom meetings with the, with the home birth midwives or with the midwives. And that was really when we both just kind of looked at each other and just really felt safer at home. Um, we just liked the idea. I knew I was going to go fast this time because my daughter had been so fast. And we just really liked the idea of not having to travel anywhere and ex and have to be transferred to the hospital if we accidentally gave birth on the freeway, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's really how that decision came about. It was really organic, quite mm -hmm. honestly. 
So then you're on the same page, you're planning, you got your supplies, you figure out logistics, you're getting ready for home birth, then what happened? <laughs> so then my body decided to take a different plan. And at my 39 week appointment, my blood pressure was a little bit elevated, which was very surprising because I'd never had an issue with blood pressure ever with any of my births. It had always been really good and low. So, um, my midwife thought it was just some hypertension and, um, asked me to monitor my blood pressure at home and it was staying high. And so as per their, um, procedures, they actually connected with the hospital midwife that I had been seeing for the first half of my pregnancy and, agreed that I needed to do some testing to completely rule out preeclampsia. So the Friday after my appointment, I went in for blood tests. And then Saturday, I got to collect my urine for 24 hours in a jug, which was really fun. <laughs> in a jug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Birth is so glamorous, just pregnancy. The whole process is all glamorous all the time. <laughs> I know, it really is. <laughs> so those tests both came back totally normal, which is the funny part of this story. And so once again, I thought we were on track for the home birth. And so Monday, the 20th of April, my midwife came to my house and we had an appointment. Again, the I did the urine test and it came back totally normal. Um, and my midwife did a stretch and sweep because at this point we were like, okay, it's probably just hypertension, but it's better to get the baby here sooner rather than later. So I opted for a stretch and sweep and she did it and we checked my blood pressure again and it spiked really, really high. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I know it was like in the 180 over a hundred range. It was really high. That is very high. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think my, I was in, I was still in denial because I thought, well, it was just, you know, I don't know. My blood, my urine test was normal again. So it's probably still just the hypertension, but I think my midwife knew and she had the conversation with me that there was a potential of a transfer and I was really upset <laughs> as you can imagine, but still in denial. I still was like, no, it's going to be fine. She'll talk to the other midwives and she'll talk to the hospital midwife and we'll do another sweep tonight, which was the original plan and everything will be fine. But it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> so um, let's see, that appointment was at 10 in the morning and she left at 1030 at 11 o'clock. The hospital midwife, Laura, her name's Laura, and the home birth midwife is Amanda. It's going to be confusing, so I'm going to use their names. <laughs> um, Laura called me and told me that I had been officially risked out of a home birth and that I needed to come to the hospital to be medically induced that day. And I was really, really upset about it because within a half an hour, I had lost my home birth, I had lost my water birth, and I was potentially going to be diagnosed with preeclampsia, um, even though everything had been normal up to this point. Um, and so she wanted me to come in within an hour, but so I told you I was a planner earlier, but because my daughter's birth had gone so well, my 
preparation for this birth had 100% been listening to every birth story on your podcast. <laughs> that <Yay>. is <laughs> it was great. And However, so yeah. I absolutely loved it. But yeah, I had not, we had not typed up any kind of a transfer um, birth plan. We hadn't packed bags, <laughs> nothing. I had not planned for childcare because of, again, because of COVID, um, my kids couldn't go to either grandparents' houses. And um, so I had just planned on them being here during the home birth, but suddenly that wasn't an option. So I had to find childcare. <laughs> it suddenly became a big process where before, again, I was just hoping it would be very simple and here at home. <laughs> and uh, all of this is happening at the same time that you're being told, get here in an hour. Like you don't even have time to figure it out but rush, rush, rush to it. Um, yeah. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, obviously, we're going to hear more about how things develop. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And we are back. So, you had said, Melanie, that you were in denial that you were being you know that your home birth is was going away um but after that 11 a.m call i'm guessing from lara things got real very real really quick yeah yeah <laughs> how so how did that rest of the day go um it was extremely emotional as you might imagine it had been an emotional weekend and i think i was just so exhausted and so um yeah, just so emotional. I cried pretty much the whole day, which didn't help me my dehydration. <laughs> but um, my I called my husband immediately after and he came straight home because he was at work. He, he works for Costco. So he was an essential worker, which is was another element to this, actually. Um, another reason we felt safer at home. I literally hadn't left the house in two months just as an effort to keep me healthy and the kids healthy because my husband did have to work. So we were trying to just, you know, even things out, I guess. <laughs> and so, yeah, part of it was that we suddenly we're going to have to go to the hospital and just 
be in the unknown. We hadn't followed procedures. I had no idea what the policies even were at the hospital I was going to be going to. So it was very overwhelming and very emotional. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Um, And it's one of those things, right, that it's so hard when you have a plan so specific to then create the other what if plans for those things you don't want, like a transfer or a cesarean or whatever it is. And more in these situations of COVID, it's so much more important to call and get information of the protocols and and you probably don't will have to do it more than once because things continue to change yeah exactly (laughs) so you packed your bags what what did you do with your kids so luckily my sister well not luckily for her but her school had been canceled she was across the country at school and the rest of her school was canceled so she magically was in town. And so luckily she was able to come over and she had been very careful with social distancing and things. So we felt safe about her coming over. And uh, so she came to be with my kids, which was a huge blessing. And we packed our bags. And at 1230, I got a text from Lara asking if when we were going to be coming in. And I think that's really when it hit me that this was as serious as it was. And Um, because before I just thought they just want me to get in here to get this baby out. But at that point, I think I realized that it wasn't just that we needed to get the baby out. They were worried about me too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Well, and that's it. Preeclampsia is no joke. And I will link on the show notes an episode that I have with Eleni Tsigas, the CEO of Preeclampsia, the Preeclampsia Foundation. Um, Yeah, I'll link that episode on the show notes because it's super valid information. And also knowing that there's a thing called postpartum preeclampsia, that you might not have it during your birth, but it might develop in those first few days. So I encourage everyone to listen to that um, after listening to this. Sorry. Uh, No, that's fine. I wish I had listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, So so then you realize they're worried about me as well. Um, Mm -hmm. She texted me when I didn't respond and she called me immediately after. And so I basically told her that we were still trying to get everything set. And at that point, she told me what the procedures were. So luckily, the hospital I was going to was small enough that it wasn't a testing center. So um, they were allowing one visitor. It had to be the same visitor the whole time. So obviously my husband. And they were allowing a doula, which I was really grateful for. So I did have the option to have my home birth midwife, Amanda, come and be my doula. Um, my biggest regret is that I did not take them up on that offer. I, I think I was so just emotionally distraught and really had no idea what to do. I was so overwhelmed and just really didn't know what to do. And I also didn't want her to come and then sit in the hospital for hours because Lara did warn me that things were going to take longer at the beginning, um, because I hadn't pre-registered or anything like that. So I... I didn't have her come, and I really, really regret that. <laughs> this is this is definitely an exper- a, a situation where a doula would have been extremely helpful. And you for with for your second, you had two doulas, and then for the or your first one. Well, I can't remember anymore. Uh, yeah, it was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so for this one, you were thinking, you know, we're at home, it's going to be quick. So you didn't have a doula planned for this. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. A doula would have been helpful just to help with navigating all the hospital things, right? Yes. And, you know, my husband was there and he wasn't on the magnesium, which again, spoiler alert, but he was still just as traumatized as I was. He was just as scared as I was because he could potentially, from what they were telling him, lose his wife and his son with how fast this preeclampsia was developing. So, yeah, I really wish we had had a doula. (laughs) Mm. So, but you didn't. And then, so you both went in, your sister's taking care of the kids um, and you're up for an induction. What, What did they tell you then? So at my stretch and sweep with my with Amanda, the home birth midwife, um, she found out that I was 60% effaced and I was already at a four. So they felt, both she and Lara, that just breaking my waters would be enough to put me into labor. Um, unfortunately, right after they broke my waters at around 4.30, um, my test results came back. They took my blood and, a, and another urine test. And those test results came back and I was positive for preeclampsia at that point. So from 10 o'clock in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon, I developed (laughs) preeclampsia. So that's how fast it was. It was really, really surprising to me. I didn't realize it could develop so quickly. Mm. Well, and and let's talk a little bit about the risks of preeclampsia and why they were so worried. Um, Why don't you tell us what the information that was conveyed to you? So what I understand is preeclampsia makes the mother's organs start to shut down, starting with the liver. They kept asking me about right upper quadrant pain, um, which I didn't have, thankfully, but I'm, I'm guessing that's where the liver is. And so what happens is obviously that's a danger for the mom, but then also it makes it impossible for the baby to get the nutrients and the oxygen and everything that the baby needs. So... That is what I understand. <laughs> and, and some of the, it's important to note that symptoms are, not everybody has the lower upper quadrant or the lower, the upper right hand quadrant pain, or you could have um, changes in your vision, rapid swelling of not just ankles, but hand and faces uh, as well, um, headaches, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, High blood pressure tends to be the most common and sort of anchoring symptom where all the other ones may or may not be present. Um, But some of those things you have with pregnancy anyway, so that's what makes it hard to determine. In terms of risks, you could, as it develops and your body starts shutting down and your blood pressure increases, you can have seizures and and a risk of death. So it is no joke again. Yeah, exactly. And and I had no other symptoms except the blood pressure, as you said, like nothing. I wasn't even swollen, which is why I thought I was totally in the clear. <laughs> yeah. So they just broke your water at 4.30 and you get the test results back saying, yep, this is definitely it. What are you thinking at that point? This is where I started feeling completely, um, I 
I can't think of the right word, but I was just feeling like everything was being taken away from me because prior to going in, you know, they were going to break my waters and I was still going to be able to get up and move and labor in the tub. And I was still going to be able to have as close to the birth that I knew I could do and, and wanted as possible. But now suddenly I have the preeclampsia and they have to start the magnesium. And with the magnesium, it's a an extreme muscle relaxant, which prevents those seizures that you were talking about. And so because it's such an extreme muscle relaxant, you're suddenly a fall risk. So you're not, I wasn't allowed to get out of the bed without assistance. Um, also it would spike my blood pressure when I would get out of the bed. And so they were worried about that. Um, so suddenly the water labor was out of the question. I couldn't get up and move around to get the natural labor going. And all of a sudden I knew that not only was I on the clock cause they had broke my waters, broken my waters. Um, but I knew that without being able to move or use any of the tools that I knew to use for pain management, I, I just literally, again, I was, I was defeated. I was completely defeated. I had no idea how I was going to get through this birth. And I also knew that it probably Pitocin was in my future. And I was really scared of Pitocin because I had heard, you know, scary stories about how painful it makes birth. (laughs) Mm. And was the magnesium also making you feel yucky? Oh, it was terrible. (laughs) I wouldn't wish it on anybody. (laughs) It's, I, the first half hour, they flood your system with it. So the first half hour was definitely the worst. Um, you feel hot, really, really hot. Um, my mind just felt like it was in this, I felt drugged. (laughs) I really did. I felt like I was on some kind of weird, um, brain altering medication. Um, and again, that's that because it's the muscle relaxant. It also relaxes your brain. Um, I couldn't focus very well and, I was so exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. So it was a very weird first half hour. And I felt that the rest of the time that I was on it, which was through my whole labor and birth, but it wasn't as bad after that first half hour. Were you having any contractions at this point? I was. um, The breaking of my waters definitely started the contractions, but I think because I then immediately went on the magnesium, um, they slowed down. And so they weren't consistent. They weren't um, very strong. So, yeah. (laughs) Mm. I'm hearing you lead towards Pitocin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So again, they were really concerned about getting the baby out and um, safely for both of us. And again, I I knew I was on the clock. I don't remember asking, but my husband said I did ask the nurse to verify. And she confirmed that I had 24 hours to give birth. I wasn't that worried about it because I know I birthed quickly, but um, the Lara kept calling the nurses and telling them to get me on Pitocin. And I did ask them to wait an hour. I think, again, it was just that denial. I was just trying to put it off and I was just hoping that my body would just be able to fight through the magnesium and do it on its own, but it didn't. So, um, finally at seven 30, I think she told me, um, I finally agreed to start Pitocin and I, 
I asked if they could do it on the lowest level first, which is a two. I guess it goes up by twos. And uh, so that's what they did. And at that point, I was sobbing to my husband and I was just like, I just don't know if I can do this. I think I should just have an epidural. <laughs> I had I had given up so completely that I was like, let's just do an epidural. <laughs> just, mm. just get it over with. And this is coming from somebody who had done posterior labor for 11 hours. Yeah. <laughs> which points to how that mind-body connection is so intense, right? Of believing you can do it versus you can't. Yeah, it's true. I, I just, I felt like everything that I knew to do was gone, every option. And I was stuck to the bed again, which is exactly where I didn't want to be. Um, from my first labor, I, I knew I didn't want that ever again. And there I was again. Mm. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> was your So what was your husband? Did he like find it in him to rally and get you like up to, you know, pump you up to, yes, you can do this or what happened? Oh, oh. <laughs> I know he was so great. I have to say he was very, um, generous with my emotions and allowing me to grieve. He kept telling me that it's okay. I might get emotional because it's only been a month. So <laughs> I still cry sometimes about it. But he, he kept saying, it's okay to grieve what you've lost. That's okay. And, um, but when I mentioned the epidural, I think he too could, rec he recognized how defeated I really was if I was asking for an epidural. And not that there's anything wrong with epidurals. It's just for me, I'd never even, it's never been in my mind before to, to want or need one. And he said, maybe we can get Laura to come back. And she can really give you an idea of what you can and can't do because the nurses just kept telling me I couldn't get out of the bed, but they weren't offering any ideas or solutions for pain man management at all. And so we did finally, like I said, I agreed to the Pitocin and I, I said, okay, if Laura can come back and give me some ideas, then I will refuse. I will, I will forego the idea of an epidural. <laughs> and so we did, we called her back and um, this is the hospital midwife. And she was fantastic. She had all sorts of ideas. And the one that I actually used was a birth ball right next to the bed with my head on the bed. And interestingly, I had tried birth balls with both my previous births and I had absolutely hated it. It just wasn't for me. But for this one, and I honestly think it was just because I was out of the bed. <laughs> Because I was on that birth ball, I didn't have to be sitting in the bed. And I think for me, emotionally and mentally, I just needed to be able to detach from the bed. And um, and it really helped. It was great. Mm -hmm. And that is a great position. Um, I've seen that work quite a bit in terms of keeping you supported and not exhaust you. But at the same time, you know, keeping you upright. Yeah. Yeah, it worked so well because I was, I could tell my legs were weaker than normal um, because of the magnesium. And so I was able to use both the bed and the birth ball to support me, but also feel like I had some control over the movement of my body and, and what I was doing through the contractions. So it was great. And she and my husband were giving me counter pressure. We got a heating pad for my back, which was fantastic. It was almost like the water. Almost. Not quite as good, but almost. <laughs> and um, yeah, so they started the Pitocin. They raised it three times, but my contractions came really 
really fast and strong. Um, by the time Lara got there, they were about four minutes apart. So pretty good. And, um, and how were you, how were you managing those right now? You're having strong contractions that are with Pitocin. How was that dreaded? You, you were dreading that. How was it once you were in it? Um, it was okay, actually. Um, I, I don't feel like it was much different from my regular contractions, although I don't really know. Um, I think I just, at that point was, I was like, okay, well here, here, here we go. <laughs> I have no other options. So let's just get through it. So, um, my husband said, as soon as the, the contractions really started hitting and I went into labor land, he felt like I was myself again. And I was, I knew what to do again. And I, he saw my confidence come back. So I don't rec- I didn't recognize that in myself, but he said that that's what he saw. Mm. And uh, can I like send him an enormous virtual hug and like <laughs> give him a doula pin? Because yes. <laughs> all th- he rallied for you and recognized and did things that were helpful to give you that space and ownership back. And that like, oh, I just want to hug. I know. He's pretty amazing. I love him. <laughs> so so at this point, it's what, uh, 10 p.m. maybe? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is how fast I birthed. So at that point, it was probably about 8.30. <laughs> okay. And I'm thinking if they raised pit three times and you started at 7.30, like that was, okay, they went quick on it. Um, they did. And I, I do remember wondering why they kept raising it because even after the, just the first thing, my contraction started pretty quickly and I, I was kind of confused why they kept raising it. But I do know that as soon as Lara got there, they stopped the Pitocin. So, mm. so they, so when she got there, contractions were super strong and she gave you all these ideas and you you know, you guys rallied and you got your confidence back and you were going into labor land and she stuck around Pitocin. You, they turned it off. Yeah. So from that point on, it's just you and your body doing this thing. Yeah, exactly. As far as I know and remember. But yes. <laughs> cool. Because Pitocin leaves your system super quick. So, you know, within five minutes, it's you can see a change. The fact that your contractions kept coming that strong meant that whatever, however dose they gave you did tip things into, um, you know, plus all the things you'd already done that you were, your water had broken and contractions were going and you birthed fast, like all the things. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So 830. Yeah. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> so, um. I I stayed on the birth ball for a while, but then suddenly I just knew I needed to be on my hands and knees again. And so I jumped up on the bed. Um, I was, I had my head on some pillows, but Laura gave me a smaller birth ball to put my head and, and hands on to rest in when I was on my hands and knees, which was really nice. I labored in that position for a while. And she had asked me to let her know when I was starting to feel the pressure at the end of contractions. And, um, I, I had been for quite a while, actually, but I didn't ever feel my baby descend into the birth canal. 
which was interesting because for the first two, I, I felt that moment quite distinctly. And so she said, okay, just, um, you know, let, let me know how things are going. And it was like the next contraction, I felt that indescribable urge to push, which surprised me immensely. And also I suddenly didn't want to be on hands and knees anymore. And so I went back up into that runner's pose like I was with my second and two contractions later and his head was out. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing about that, um, I need to back up slightly. My husband had wanted to catch the baby this time because he'd never caught our babies before. And so they gave him some gloves and they were too small. My husband's a, a tall, manly man. And I heard Laris or a nurse ask if she should go look for bigger gloves. And I heard Lara say, oh, yeah, um, we have time. And I remember thinking, we don't have time. And my husband thought the same thing. So he just put on the two small gloves just in case. And sure enough, that's when two contractions later, his head was born. And then I heard Lara say, uh, we're ready for nursery um, now. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. Everything happened way faster than everybody expected. <laughs> Mm. and um oh go ahead sorry no 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 so you you did feel that immense like the fetal ejection reflex um yeah yeah (laughs) and then um his my so my daughter like I said she had just once her head was out she just came right out but um this Atticus my son um I felt his shoulders, the full intense pressure of his shoulders on my perineum. And I remember worrying for like a split second. Oh no, (laughs) is this shoulder dystocia? (laughs) Because that was another thing I was worried about for this labor for some reason. Um, But then I, I pushed a couple more times and he came right out. So it wasn't shoulder dystocia, but I had never felt that pressure before on my perineum like that. It was crazy intense. (laughs) I think honestly, it was the most painful part of the whole labor. And so I'm grateful it lasted for a very short amount of time. (laughs) Hmm. And I wonder if the magnesium had anything to do with that being such an intense muscle relaxer, if it was affecting how that, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. That makes me curious too. (laughs) Yeah. And so you're, so did your husband, was he able to catch your baby? He did. So he caught him and was able to put him right on my chest. And um, he was my first baby, too, that the cord was long enough that he was able to go right up on my chest. Most of my other babies could only my first only could reach to my tummy and my second just basically to my breast. So it was kind of nice to have him right up there, right by my head. <laughs> was he did he move a lot when in utero? More than he the did. others? Um. I don't know if it was more. Uh, it was probably a little bit more, especially towards the end. Well, and the only reason I ask is because that can sometimes determine the length of the cord. Because oh. if they move a lot, they need longer cord, right? So the cord just oh. develops longer um, is at least what I've heard the theory be to be, the hmm. hypothesis. Yeah. That's interesting. I had never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? If anybody knows, write to me. Tell me. I am curious. Yeah. Um, me I'll too. research that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, he came to your test. Then, was there any separation? There was. Um, so, his face was extremely bruised. Um, it was bright purple. Poor little guy. 
And like I said that I hadn't felt him descend into my birth canal. And I actually think he might've been there a lot longer than we all thought he was. Um, nobody could tell me why he, he was so bruised. They don't know. Cause he came out fine. He wasn't posterior or anything, but his face was super bruised. And, you know, babies are a little blue when they first come out anyway, but because his face was so blue, the, the nursery, um, was really worried. They didn't think he was breathing. I was holding him. So I felt like he was okay, but they were really, really worried about him. So I got to cut the cord, <laughs> but it all had to be kind of rushed because they wanted to take him right over to the warmer and get him breathing. But my husband was over there and they said, as soon as he was on the warmer, he pinked right up. So it was really just that his face was so bruised. He looked like he wasn't breathing. Well, and I'm glad that you're saying this because you sent me, you know, several pictures and one of the pictures is him super newborn. And I looked at it and I didn't know any of this. And I was like, his face is really blue. And I kept looking at the rest of his body and his hands like, but no, but he's pink, but his head, yeah. face is blue. Like I, I even seeing the picture, I was like, what? I was confused. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that's what was going on. <laughs> nah. Did that bruising stay for long? How did it go away pretty quick? Um, it did actually. Um, even by the next day in the hospital, he was much more pink. Um, the thing about that, that I didn't know when his pediatrician came to check on him in the hospital, she said that sometimes bruising can either indicate or lead to jaundice. And so we got to go home with the Billy lights and use the Billy lights for the first week of his life. <laughs> did he so have was... jaundice? So his levels were pretty, um, they were right on the cusp. So she just said because of the bruising, she wanted to err on the side of caution. Um, and we did have to do two separate blood tests to check his, his uh, Billy levels. So the first blood test was after a week of using the Billy lights and it was pretty good. So she had him go off the lights and then we had to do another blood test to see if it maintained. And he, he was great. So we only had to do it that first week. <laughs> well, and I'm glad that they sent you home with Billy lights instead of having you come in for light therapy. I guess that's one of the benefits or not benefits, but one of the changes from COVID. Yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> mm. I was so grateful because I already, I had to keep going in for blood tests and he had to go in for blood tests and that was enough travel back and forth for me. <laughs> no. How was the delivery of the placenta and did you have any tears? Um, the placenta delivered great. It came pretty quickly um, on its own. Um, this midwife let me deliver it on my own, which I was grateful for. And, um, I did have a tear and I'm pretty sure it's from delivering his shoulders. It was a first degree, thankfully, but it was quite long. I had lots of stitches. So that was fun. It was my worst tear of all my births. <laughs> mm. Those shoulders. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, and then, so your recovery from preeclampsia and your process with preeclampsia, how did that continue? So, um, after I gave birth, they told me, so this whole time, because I knew I gave birth quickly, I was thinking, oh, and he was born at 9.48 PM. I forgot to mention that fact. So Oof. it was really quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they said that most women recover after 24 hours. 
Um, but you have to be on magnesium for that 24 hours to just continue helping the process. So I had to stay in the hospital for an extra day. I had been hoping that I could go home the next morning, <laughs> but that dream was dashed. Um, <laughs> so I was on the magnesium for 24 hours. Actually, she got me off of it a little early because I was responding really well to it. Um, and then I went home, but my blood pressure kept going up. It never went back down. And so I had to go on blood pressure medication and keep checking my blood pressure. And then I kept getting headaches that didn't respond to medication, which is a sign of preeclampsia. And so I had to go get some more blood tests done. And so right now we're a month out and I still have preeclampsia, but my body is healing from it because my the headaches have stopped and the blood pressure is trending down. So we're really grateful, but I get to be one of the lucky few <laughs> whose preeclampsia did not resolve in the first 24 hours. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry that, you know, that sucks. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but I'm glad to hear that it is trending down and, and recovering healing. Um, so at least that's something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, my husband, in his wisdom, he said, maybe your preeclampsia stuck around so you wouldn't second guess any of the interventions that you had in the hospital. And as much as I hate to admit it, he might be right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm. He is a wise one. He is. (laughs) Um, How how has this, uh, the immediate postpartum been during COVID these four weeks? Um, So Costco luckily about a year ago gave all of their members three weeks paid leave after the birth of a child, male and female. So it has been fantastic having my husband home for three weeks, especially because I have been in such an emotional, emotional state. Um, you know, I, um, this baby has been the balm to all of this. And a month out, I'm, I'm doing a lot better emotionally, but I was really, really worried about postpartum mood disorder, simply because I know a traumatic birth can increase those risks. So having him home for those three weeks and not having to go anywhere and not having to worry about visitors because can't have visitors right now and not having to worry about um, him at work, potentially bringing home diseases. That was really, really, really nice. Um, He's back at work now, which has been an adjustment, <laughs> but I'm also doing better emotionally. So that helps a lot. Yeah. And I'm glad you're doing better emotionally. Um, clearly, this was very far away from your plans initially. Um, you were going towards home birth that you wanted for so long, and you ended up with a very intervention-filled birth. How? How are you feeling with all of that? Um, yeah. Um, it's been an interesting challenge. Um, my friend who I spoke of in the beginning, she's been so great too. Um, because as I said, her first birth was quite traumatic. And But one thing she said to me that I, I've been feeling deeply actually is, you know, with a lot of people, their most traumatic birth is their first, and then they make changes and are able to heal from that trauma in subsequent births. But my traumatic birth happened 
with my last because, you know, I'm 40. So <laughs> I'm probably not going to be having more kids. And um, so she said, I, I'm not sure, but you're going to have to do a lot more work to heal from this birth from her viewpoint. And I found that that's true. Um, one thing I found really, really helpful and important, and it's something that my husband and my my home birth midwife, Amanda, said, is that it's okay to allow yourself to grieve what you lost. And, um, you know, it's it might seem trite to other people, but for me, just knowing that I'm never going to get that home birth that I'd always dreamed of was a big challenge in this, um, in my grieving and healing process. Um, I... Also, as you said, it was a very medicalized and very intervention-filled birth. And I sent you a picture of me, and and I'm feeding my baby, and he's got a respirator thing attached to him. I have a blood pressure cuff attached to me. I have an IV and a respirator, and it made breastfeeding so challenging because I'd have to move all those cords. And I just remember thinking this this was the exact opposite of what I wanted to the way I wanted to welcome him into this world. Um, but at the same time, all of those emotions are warring with the, my knowledge of how serious preeclampsia really is and knowing that I was in exactly the right spot where I needed to be and that my home birth midwife knew that and she was wise enough to transfer the care so that we could, we could both be safe. So I've, I've had, a lot of conflict in my emotions. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, completely understandable. And I think both your midwife and your husband are very wise in saying you, and I say this quite often too, that we're complex human beings, we can have two different emotions at the same time, we can be overjoyed for a new baby and be mourning the loss of what we wanted, right? Um, and feel free to to feel all those things and hold space for all those things because that's the only way you get through to a healing place, um, you know. And I'm glad that you are safe. Thank you. <laughs> and it seems that you did. I know it's hard, but it does feel like you navigated all of this with a lot of grace, um, considering the challenges that that you had to face and yeah it like like your husband said and your, and your midwife said it might take years or your friend said it might take years to process um and things will come up and but one thing's for certain this is very much your birth and every single one of them is uniquely yours and who knows why this little baby wanted to bring this learning experience to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of my births have kind of indicated my children's personalities as well. And so like my son, my first son is very um, calculating and he's really good at math. And, you know, his birth was very smooth, but it was very calculated. And then my daughter just came out in a fury and she's totally like that. She's our free spirit. And <laughs> And we're hoping that this one is super chill and that's why he needed to be induced. Mm. <laughs> that's what we're hoping. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, let's hope for that. Um, very much so. And also it's that there's that whole thing of third babies, third babies being the wild card, pushing you to your edge. Whew. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's keeps... true. And I had heard that in a lot of the birth stories on, on your podcast and it made me a little bit nervous. And <laughs> and it's but... one of those things I don't, and it's not quite a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I hear this with in midwife circles and doula circles and like in all, of, yeah, third baby. So there's got to be something to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you so very much for sharing your stories and being here on this show. Do you have any any other final things that you wanted to make sure people heard that we didn't get to? Um, I would just say um, one thing I've been thinking a lot, a lot about, too, is, you know, for somebody else, this um, birth may not have been traumatic at all. But for me, it really was. And so I find that we need to give a lot of grace to ourselves and to others because our trauma is our own. And um, I, yeah, I guess that's all I wanted to say is just because you find your birth traumatic doesn't mean that you're wrong or just because you did have, have interventions and you're grateful for it. That's great too. <laughs> yep. Trauma's in the eye of the beholder. Absolutely. Um, and let's just give grace to all of our experiences because they're, they're ours. It's, it's, we have to figure them out. Mm -hmm. Thanks again so much. I could continue healing and enjoy those babies. Thank you so much. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and much more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here is what Melanie had for breakfast. Oh, I had oatmeal and um, a magnesium drink, actually. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.